Dear Shooter, today we are giving you a break from the normal bullshit brought to you in cursive. Instead, we are going to talk with Tom Austin. Of course I'm happy. Just checking because I'm like getting the stink eye here. Go do your thing. But get good at your craft first and put your budget to things that really matter for your day. You want to get good at it. And make no mistake about it, that's training. Let's face it. If you have a size 62 waist, you are not as tactical as 5'11 might think you are. And we've all seen it. Welcome to the Deer Shooter Podcast. I am your host, Jason Crotto. Deer Shooter is brought to you by WyoTac, Empowerment Through Self-Reliance, and Lucid Optics, on target, under budget. Good Thursday morning. We are here assembled, and we've got a special guest for you. We've got Tom Austin on the phone with with us. And, Tom, tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, I appreciate you taking a break from the uh, usual bullshit to get just a different kind of bullshit because that's pretty much what I am. Uh, I'm glad to be here, though. I I love hunting and shooting been doing it my whole life and actually been able to make a living at it which is a huge blessing from above but it hasn't been easy it hasn't been an easy road to hoe and i have to do a lot of different things and uh, have wear a lot of different hats in order to make a living doing what i love but i couldn't see it any other way many irons in the fire i think all of us here can appreciate that so what is it that you do you know nine to five i mean what's your job tom what are you doing my, my day job is a uh, director of a company called night goggles inc and we're a sister company of tactical night vision company uh, tnvc and we sell thermal night vision um, as well as all the accessories helmets and mounts and lights and lasers and um, tripods and Basically, everything that has to do with shooting at night uh, is what we specialize in. Night goggles is the hunting entity of that. So my specialty is night hunting. I consider myself a professional predator hunter. And people always ask me, well, what's a professional predator hunter? And it's similar to a professional basketball player or, you know, a professional pianist. Um, I get paid to hunt predators. And I make a living doing that um, through many different ways. I write editorials for hunting magazines. I'm a videographer for a television show. I'm a photographer. Um, I run an outfitters uh, service for predators only named Predator Strike Force. So I take people out and teach them how to hunt predators daytime and nighttime and, and um, get a lot of opportunity to you know, just go out and have fun and meet really cool people and play with awesome equipment. I'm kind of a tech nerd, so I love all the different gear that we get to use. And and, and I love to just be in the outdoors, you know, in my element. So I, I, I'm a brand ambassador for several different companies um, in the firearms industry. And 
and uh, I get to travel a lot and talk to people and do seminars and podcasts and things of that nature. So, Well, I, I follow you out there on the social media world a little bit, and you're always tinkering with some vehicle of one form, fashion, or another. That's a passion, yeah. I don't really make a lot of money doing that, but cars have been my passion since I was, you know, 15 years old. All right. Um, I've had 28 Mustangs, Ford Mustangs, and I, I really love to play with with cars, um, fast cars. I've, I bought a Ferrari several years ago just to see how fast I could make it, and that was a lot of fun, and well, Tom, I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised they had cars back when you were 15. Oh Lord! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Pot, meat, kettle. <laughs> so you had a project yeah. here not too long ago. Um, you were making some super bike thing. Yeah. How would you describe I, uh, that project? <laughs> so I named it uh, the Nobby Harley Project, and I took. Uh, I took a night rod special Harley Davidson. Um, they have a motor built by Porsche in them. And I put knobby tires on the front and the back and put a, uh, put a suspension lift on it and off-road lights and uh, infrared lights so I can drive it with my night vision. And I turned it into a, an off-road Harley just for fun. Um, that project was watching you, and you had to move and change everything. Yeah, I'm still working on that. Um, but I, I really like to get into the, the mechanics of things and improve upon them or, or change them to fit my needs. I built several uh, four-wheel drive vehicles. I have a, a Toyota Tacoma that I completely tore apart and outfitted for hunting and overlanding. Uh, I'm restoring an old Land Rover Defender 90 right now that's right-hand drive, and it's a manual, so you shift with your left hand. Um, and, like, I literally have to go through a drive through backwards if I'm by myself because I can't reach across to get the food. <laughs> so I just, I just love messing with crazy stuff. I have a new Bronco coming, and I have a whole bunch of parts already sitting up my house waiting to go on it when it gets here. Wait, so. you actually have upgrade parts waiting for the car that's not there yet. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> all right, <laughs> okay. And I do the same thing to all my guns, believe it or not. But none of them look factory. They don't They don't stay uh, in stock form for very long. In fact, almost every single gun I have looks custom, and they all get custom paint jobs and I'm really weird about stuff. I like things to be matchy-matchy, and uh, people laugh about it, but it keeps me out of trouble, and I'll never be addicted to drugs because I'll never be able to afford them. I don't, I don't think that's that's wrong at all, and, and Wilson and I both are bad about that. We have parts sitting there waiting for the gun to show up. I have parts exactly. for guns so I'm not sure yep. I'm going to buy. Um <laughs> But I mean, that that actually fits into the deer shooter, you know, vein. Some of our, our listenership's going to be looking at a custom build or augmenting their current rig to something else. When you start yeah. that project, what's the first thing you assess on a firearm change? What's 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 the actual use of it? What do I need it for, and why am I building it? I don't. I'm not the kind of guy that collects a bunch of guns that don't get used. 
if I have a firearm that doesn't fit a need for me, I usually sell it and I'll sell it to, you know, a family member or a buddy who I know will enjoy it, but I don't keep stuff around. I don't use. So I have a specific daytime hunting setup for coyotes. I have a specific daytime hunting setup for big game. I'll set something up for nighttime coyotes. I'll set something up for nighttime hogs. Um, I'll build a gun for targets. Um, and I do everything different depending on what my needs are. I built a specific rifle for hunting wolves because I didn't have one that really worked really well. I had one that I could use for that, but it wasn't like set up the way that I wanted to set up a gun. And so fill a need or see a need, fill a need. And that's kind of how I approach everything with firearms. Well, let me derail that concept for a second. Let's talk about the the wolf hunting project that you just talked about. I know that one's a little bit dear to your heart because um, you have some facial hair that's on because you made a a vow to to not shave until you killed a wolf, or how'd that go? Yeah, so, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing, and we had a cabin in Island Park, Idaho, which is right outside of Yellowstone, West Yellowstone to be exact. And as a child, we saw the game was abundant. And when they reintroduced the wolves into Yellowstone Park, there was a decline, and it happened very slowly. But as it progressed, I noticed that the game was gone from our area. And, you know... All the times when I spent as a kid driving around with mom and dad, you know, looking for elk and antelope and moose and things like that, couldn't really do it anymore because they're just, the population was so decimated and it pissed me off. It bugged me and we were starting to see more and more wolves and that was when Idaho opened a season for them and at that moment, I'm a predator hunter. I like to call predators and I decided that that was going to be my new obsession was to kill a wolf. And usually when you make a goal for yourself, it's a good idea to have a daily reminder. And I thought, what better to remind me every day than a beard? And I thought it would take me a year or two. It ended up taking me seven years. Well, I've seen your beard. Are you sure a wolf isn't hiding in that? <laughs> it's very clean. He keeps it nice Believe and trim. Yeah. Believe it or not. But uh, during that time, we had a lot of wolf encounters, and I had people with me that harvested wolves. Uh, I called one in with my voice howling a wolf, um, and my cousin shot it. Uh, so we were killing wolves, but I personally hadn't killed one yet. So You've still not got this done? Uh, no, I did. I did. Oh, okay. uh, in 2000, yeah, in 2017... I actually called in a wolf and black one and uh, I stopped it a little bit too soon as it was coming to the call. I was afraid it was going to see my, my vehicle and leave. So I stopped it. And when I, when I uh, shot, I saw my, my bullet break a branch uh, off a pine bough in front of the wolf and he left. And I beat myself up for, like eight hours, you know, I called everybody I knew and told them what a mistake I had made and how I screwed up this perfect opportunity. And 
I still continued to hunt, um, and later that evening, the the last light of the day, I sat up a, along a big meadow, and I howled again with my voice, and then I played some magpies and ravens on the Fox Pro game call, and the same wolf, I believe it was the same wolf, stepped into the meadow and ran across, and I stopped it about 300 yards and put a bullet through her. Um, Funny thing is, she started to spin, and and her tail was ringing, and she ran into the thick timber. And I thought, oh, no, because it was getting dark quick. And she's black. And and I had I had some thermal in my truck, and I decided that I was going to get the thermal out and start trailing blood with the thermal. And uh, I had a buddy with me, and he's like, never used thermal, so he asks, what am I looking for, like? How does this work? And I said, any heat signature is going to glow white because we had it on white hot. And he said, like that. And I'm like, no, that's a tree stump. It's still holding a little bit of heat, but uh, it's going to be brighter. And I look around, I'm like, like that over there. And I'm like, wait a minute. (laughs) And I go over there, and there was my wolf. It had gone about 100 yards into the dark timber got confused, turned around and came right back out and died on the edge of the meadow, not 30 yards from where it went in. Oh, no kidding. And if I didn't have the thermal, I don't think I would have found her because I would have went in and lost the blood trail and gave up thinking she kept going the direction she was heading where she actually did a 180 and came back out. So that was one of the, one of the, um, huge benefits to having thermal available to me was I was able to find my first wolf and did I shave? I did actually. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the one we saw on Facebook? Probably. I, I, I went and shaved and I immediately regretted it. (laughs) Yeah. That was, that um, was the one we saw on Facebook. You were not happy at the end of the, at the end of the shave. I'm, I'm not kidding. I, I couldn't believe how fat my face had gotten in seven years. And I went into hiding like a recluse for like three months until I could grow enough facial hair to cover my fat face. <laughs> so it started out as a reminder, and you got used to it, and now it's back. Well, yeah, because I realized how ugly I had become. Well, my understanding so that, I that grew it back. <laughs> Tom Austin's beard is, is an icon. It's actually, it's the legend precedes me. Um, People don't want to necessarily meet me. They want to meet the beard. It's it's become a little bit awkward. But Do you I, remember the year, Tom, that we put you on our SHOT Show bingo about touching yeah. your beard? Was that exciting or what? Because none of us told you it was happening. <laughs> that was the joke. I wanted people to just randomly go up and go, can I touch it? Well, here's the thing, Jason, is people do that anyway. <laughs> um. There, I don't know what it is, but certain people have a fascination. And believe it or not, there's a certain race and a certain gender that has a fascination with facial hair. And that race and that gender always comes up to me and wants to touch my beard. So like, has it lost its weirdness or is it still weird? Uh, it's still a little bit weird, especially because you never know, you know, how 
clean people's hands are and things of that nature. But ah, so so it's a germaphobe thing. I have fun with it, and uh, I don't let it bother me. You know. So when you when you're building a rifle for a, a wolf hunt, you know, specifically for the task at hand, right? Yeah. What is that? What is your wolf gun? Well, wolves are a lot stronger than people think they are. In my opinion, you need a deer caliber or an elk caliber to humanely harvest a wolf. You can't use a coyote caliber. It's not enough. So, 6.5 bullet or bigger. There's right. a lot of powder behind it. My favorite wolf cartridge is a 6.5 PRC. All right. That's my gun right and, there, y'all. And I shoot a one. I shoot a 143 grain ELDX bullet. At right around 3,000 feet per second. Perfect. Okay, you're describing Brandy's new gun. And you have to you have to do a lot of hiking for wolves. Not necessarily, but the area that I hunt is you have to do a lot of hiking. So I want something lightweight, easy to carry. My wolf gun is five and a half pounds before glass. Ooh, that is light. And don't those things hunt you back? You know, I... Believe it or not, there are st- there are statistics of one or two wolf kills in North America in like the last sixty years. So, not necessarily they 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 do hunt you because they don't know what you are. But when they find out you're a human being, they want nothing to do with you. Well, that's comforting. There's, only, there's I think there's only two. Uh, yeah, I think there's only two attacks of, of record in the last 60 years in North America, and that includes Canada and, and the Great White North. So, so it's that, not very common. That movie, The Gray, with Liam Neeson, is like total bunk. It, yeah, it's an awesome movie, though. Yeah, it is. It is. No, that Hollywood does, that does make me feel better. Because Brandy and yeah. I, we were we were up fishing last year. And when we backtracked to go back to the truck, there was wolf tracks over top of ours. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they'll do that. Um, and I've had them come in and, and get real close and smell me. And, you know, I thought, oh, he's going to eat me. But as soon as they figure out what you are, they're gone. Um, a black bear is a big problem. There's so many more recorded cases of black bears killing people than than a wolf and even black bears kill more people than grizzly bears do even though grizzly bears attack more they usually don't kill you um but a black bear will eat you he'll consume you yeah the so hunter safety courses that we took years and years ago they always said that a grizzly bear might be a bluff but a black bear means to eat you yeah yeah that's the difference is a, a, a grizzly bear just wants you to to stop fighting that's why playing dead with a grizzly bear is advised because it really does work but if you play dead with a black bear you'll be consumed you have to fight back with a black bear good to know but wolves aren't really a problem Uh, not for humans anyway but they're a huge problem for everything else so other than the goal of getting a wolf for yourself harvesting a wolf for yourself what are are you continuing with that project or what's that all about? Yeah, I still I still hunt wolves. Um 
what I wanted to do was I wanted to be the first one to call in and kill a wolf in the lower 48 on video. Because at that time, nobody had done it or, or there weren't any uh, videos on YouTube of guys calling in wolves and killing him. So, in fact, the uh, the video of me voice howling went into my cousin and him killing it was the first one in the lower 48 that I'm aware of. All right. Has and there been a, a bunch since or is it still kind of a rarity? Yeah, there's. I think there's a lot more. Um, people have a lot more encounters. Most people don't call them in, though. Uh, they just shoot them as an animal of opportunity while they're hunting other species. Oh, okay. But there, there's a guy in uh, in Montana. Um, I think it's Sterling Outdoors or something of that nature. Uh, but he kills several a year, and he has some great footage. Hmm. Um, there's some of him calling wolves on frozen lakes in northern Montana, and they're surrounding him like 10 or 12 wolves just fanning out around him and he starts shooting um but wow. uh some really cool footage out there my footage uh, went viral because it was so early on and nobody had really seen that type of footage and i have you know several i think i have over a million views i think it's close to two million views on that video gosh dang that's a lot which yeah you know and a lot of those were from people that hate me they they disagree with what I'm doing, and you know I got death threats, and uh, my family received death threats from for hunting a wolf. And I was very careful when I filmed this footage to make sure that I filmed everything, including my cousin pulling an Idaho big game license out of his wallet and his wolf tag, his gray wolf tag, punching the tag properly. At fixing it to the carcass and i showed all that in the video because i wanted people to know this was a legal act that we were doing everything's above board it's a good idea yeah but it didn't matter the people that that disagreed with it you know found ways to poke holes in it well you just thank them for pumping your numbers and go about your day exactly (laughs) yeah i don't let it bother me good very good well, you, you you can't, and and I'm starting to learn that as I get a little further along in this industry. Let the haters hate. Yeah, yeah, they just pump your well, numbers. Thank them for being there. Yeah, then you, that just takes uh, the wind out of their sails, makes them go away. I tell them, you watch every video I put out, and you comment, you know, on everything. You're a fan, buddy, whether you admit it or not. You're That's a right. fan. That's exactly right. Well, in that vein, though, I'm. We're headed towards summer, which is not necessarily ideal predator hunting around here. But as we head towards fall, I'd like to talk about getting you out here and doing some hunting with us. Yeah. Um, we got a ton of coyotes, and it's going to be worse this year than it's been in a long time because of the winter kill we just had. Right. The population's going to boom. Um, yeah. We do have opportunities on wolves. Um we have more opportunities on coyotes. We have some opportunities on some, some mountain lion. Um, try to get you out here and put some of that on film. What do you think? Yeah, they'll all come to a call. I've called in a few lions. I had a client shoot a lion at like six paces. Now that's um, a little too that close. One, that's like That one was coming in to eat us. Th- that's inside um, like your living room. That's close. Yeah. Well, you know, they say... Uh, 
most gunfights happen in the, that 15 step rule. So, <laughs> or se- seven steps or less, right? 15 feet. Yeah, 90% of everything that happens with gunfight is in that range. Now, yeah. you, you said you're, you're doing most of your wolf hunting in Idaho. What, what's the regulation up there? Well, they, they've actually just opened it up quite a bit. Um, you can trap. You can, uh, you can use electronic collars. You can actually hunt over bait. You can actually use thermal now to hunt wolves in Idaho. Do they, do they still yeah. require a license? You do have to have a license. Um, you have to have a big game license and a wolf tag. It's not cheap for a non-resident. It's $192.50, I believe, total. Uh, the wolf tag is only like $33.50, um, but there's a, a hunting license for big game involved with that, too, that's that's pretty expensive. But. Well, and, and the reason I ask is is in Wyoming, if you get about I think I think the the range is fifty or seventy five miles out of Yellowstone. Uh, Wyoming is actually listed them as a predator, so no license required. They're shooting on sight That's here. Awesome. Yeah, um, Montana's still requiring a license too, and it's it's cheaper. It's only about sixty five. Interesting. Because um, here in Wyoming, in, coyotes and wolves, they're they're no license required. But your mountain lion, that's a trophy animal. And that will require a license. Interesting. Yeah, I have not. Uh, I have not pursued the the wolves in Wyoming yet at all. But I'm down for anything. Well, I know there's a ton of them up here, and we've we've talked to several folks that that have ranches uh, actually on the western side of the Wind Rivers, and they're having a yeah. huge problem with them. So, you know, we're always getting invited to come out and and hunt with them yeah they're smart they're a lot harder to kill than a coyote believe it or not and it's it's not because um they're smarter than a coyote but they're a lot cagier um it's it took me quite a while to figure out how to hunt a wolf and wolves can be lazy too even though they travel a lot if you're behind a wolf as you know as you're going along hunting and and you're not in his direct path to come to you he's already forgot about you he's going to go about his way he's not going to turn around and come back even if it's just you know a quarter of a mile or whatever kind of single-minded huh yep once they get uh as a predator hunter you you probably get out there and, and you've seen some pretty ridiculously close encounters um, have you ever had something that was bordering on safety issue? I have, but it was with humans. Humans? I had a, yeah, I had a guy, uh, try to kill me in, in, uh, New Mexico one day as I was hunting predators. Uh, okay. You, you have my attention. Yep. What are the circumstances where another human being decides to kill you? Well, we were uh, we went to Las Cruces, New Mexico, for a predator convention, where a bunch of predators from all over the country get together and uh, do seminars and a banquet, and they they go out and hunt during the day. And I was in attendance with uh, my older brother, a buddy of mine, and my cousin. And 
they had a lot of protesters there that year because they got wind of the convention. So they were protesting, picketing outside of the convention. And um, we heard that they had been following vehicles back to their hotels and writing down license plates and things of that nature. So they were starting to get, you know, a little bit more brave. Well, we went out hunting and we had, we made a stand over this dry creek bed. Um, we were actually on public land and we had parked about, oh, seven or 800 yards away um, from the spot that we called. And we called in a couple of coyotes and my older brother actually missed. Um, <laughs> funny story, when he got out of the vehicle, he noticed that his uh, his elevation turret was not on zero, which is where he sets it. So what did he do? He just turned it back to zero. And he was a revolution off. He was a rev off and shot way over the coyote. Uh, so we were giving him a hard time about it. And we see this van pull up and kind of it goes and parks over by my truck because we can see the truck from our location. And an individual gets out and walks around the vehicle, gets back in and drives off. And my brother's like, that was weird. It, it kind of looked like he was casing the joint, you know, like they were going to steal something. And so I said, well, I'll head over there. He's gone now, but I'll head over there and make sure he didn't take anything. And you guys grab the stuff and meet me. Well, I'm carrying a, a Canon video camera on a tripod. And I don't have a firearm with me because I'm filming and they're they're shooting. And by the time I get over to the vehicle, he comes back. And he jumps out and he's really agitated. It's about 70 degrees. He's got his hands thrust way down deep in the bottom of a, a big old parka that he's wearing. And he just immediately jumps on me. He's like, you, you got permission to hunt here? And I'm like, absolutely, I sure do. He's like, well, I don't think you can hunt here. This is a, do you know, do you know who owns this? And I said, absolutely, I do. I have a map right here that shows me all the ownership. And we're allowed to hunt here. And, you know, it's, and he's like, well, well, what are we doing? And I said, obviously, I'm filming and I've got a crew out there hunting. And uh, it's really none of your concern. Have a good day. And he starts getting madder and madder. And uh, I can tell, like, he's shaking uncontrollably. And he's pacing back and forth. And I was a police officer for eight years. And I could I could see all the signs that something wasn't right with this individual. And, and that things were going to get ugly. And... Luckily, right about then, my brother, my cousin, my buddy all showed up, and they were packing ARs because that's what we hunt with, 223s. And his attitude totally changed, and then he starts backpedaling. Well, so do you guys uh, do you guys know how to get to this place? And, and he's like, boy, it's cold out, isn't it? And we're like, no, it's not. 180 <laughs> and, story change. Yeah. yeah and. Anyway, he got in his vehicle and left. And everybody's like, that was weird. I said, yeah, that I didn't have a good feeling about that at all. I'm glad you guys came when you did. Well, we went back to the hotel, and there were police officers parked in the, the parking lot, and 
there was a, a an officer at the front desk when we got there, and we're like, everything good? What's going on? And they had a flyer of this dude's mugshot. Oh, no. And he's like, this guy's been seen in the parking lot, and he's, you know, he's been harassing some of the hunters. If you see him, let us know. We'd like to talk to him. And I'm like, he just... He just had contact with, with us 30 minutes ago. This is what he was driving. This is his license plate number because I, you know, obviously remember all that stuff. And they said, thanks for the info. And they went looking for him. Well, they found him. And I told him, check the parka if you find him. And in his parka, he had a 38 snub nose in the pocket. And they said that he had posted on social media, I think it was Twitter, um, time for some, uh, he said, sorry, he said, went out to looking for some, found some, time for some civil disobedience. And the timestamp was right when he was like between the first time we saw him and the second time we saw him come back to the truck. He went looking for trouble. Yeah, I think he was going to shoot me, all for the cause. Oh, um, until good guys with guns showed up, and I've always taught. You know, I taught legal heat for several years. I listened to the podcast, the Legal Heat podcast. By the way, there's a few things we need to discuss there. Yeah, we should clear that up. But, I mean, if there's something that we got wrong, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, but I I always taught the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's right. And the more good guys we have with guns, the safer this country will be. That's that's how I started every class, and that's how I ended every class. Agreed. And um, I know that day that more good guys with guns saved probably saved me from a really bad situation and a bad day. Uh, overwhelming firepower is very convincing to get people to stop doing what they're doing. Right. The, um, the statistics show that 90% of the time, the mere presence of a handgun will stop a deadly threat. And that doesn't even mean you have to use it. 90% of the time, the mere presence of another handgun will stop, stop a deadly threat. So just the fact that you brought one and present it will save your life 90% of the time. Well, and that's just and then, Obviously, the odds increase from there. You know, uh, one of the things that we discussed in uh, legal heat classes was caliber. Because that was one of the things that people always want to know. What caliber do I carry, you know? And how much does it matter? And I had statistics from shootings, and uh, they were one-shot percentages that one shot would stop a bad guy from all these different calibers, from twenty-two long rifle up to, you know, forty-four magnum. One shot from a twenty-two long rifle will stop a bad guy uh, 29% of the time. One shot from a forty-four Magnum will stop a bad guy 95% of the time. So 29 versus 95, everybody thinks we'll shoot. I guess I got to carry a forty-four. But what they don't realize is, are you willing to carry a forty-four Magnum day in and day out, whether it's hot or cold or 
you're headed to the gym or the grocery store or going to church or whatever. You know, most people can't do that because it's big, it's heavy, it's cumbersome, it's uncomfortable. But if you're willing to carry a gun, doesn't matter what caliber it is, 90% of the time, it'll save your life. Then let's say you decide to use it and shoot somebody one time with it. Let's say it's a 22 caliber, for example. Now you have a 92.9% chance that your 22 caliber is going to stop the bad guy with one shot. And you're not just going to shoot him one time if he hasn't stopped yet, so the number increases with each shot. A 22 long rifle will kill you. It's been proven it's probably killed more people than any other caliber. Absolutely. But if you can carry a bigger gun, you're better off. But the just having a gun with you makes more difference than whatever caliber you choose. So what I preach is pick something that you're going to carry every day. I don't care what caliber it is. Pick something that's small, lightweight, compact, easy to conceal, and comfortable. Well, let me let me pick your brain on this because this is something that that I've seen come up in my classes. You know, people always ask, "Well, what caliber are they?" You know, obviously they think bigger is better, and and they they talk about those one shot stops, and the the piece of information I always throw at them that kind of throws them for a loop is when they we were doing a lot of that data a lot of those one-shot stops were psychological, not physical stops. Uh, sure. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah. Obviously, there's a there's a psychological game. Um, somebody that's hyped up on drugs that doesn't have uh, the synapses aren't connecting in his brain isn't going to stop him anyway. Right. For the most part, until you take out, you know, vital organs, or that's when you go to the Mozambique and you shoot that triangle right between the eyes and the nose mm-hmm. and turn the lights out. But I, like I always told people, it's more important that you have a gun, that you're willing to use it, that you're trained to use it. And if you do that, you're going to protect yourself and your family more than 90% of the time. Um, People would ask me, like, when you say you want it to be the gun to be comfortable, what do you mean by comfortable? Like, should it be comfortable in my hands? And while that's somewhat important, you're not going to notice when you're shooting a bad guy in a stressful situation, that gun felt uncomfortable in my hand. You, you don't think about that. No, not at you, that moment. You do a gorilla grip on it. You put, push it out there. You squeeze the trigger. Most of the time you have auditory exclusion to the point where you don't hear the shots. You don't know how many times you pulled the trigger. All those things. You're not going to realize, man, that was that little, you know, Ruger LC9 was really uncomfortable. It's snappy. It's got some recoil. No, you don't start you, noticing that until you're, you're practicing with them. You'll think that at the range, sure, but you're not going to think it in a deadly force situation. Right. Yeah. So when I when I say that the gun should be comfortable, I mean it should be comfortable on your person. Because if it's not, you won't wear it. It'll be home in the safe. And if it's home in the safe, it will never save your life. You get zero percentage that it will save your life at home. Right. So one other thing that I would tell people is uh, the gun should be highly visible. And people would scratch their head. Um, why? What? Okay, well, 
Look at statistics again. Most violent crimes happen at night. I don't know why, but that's what the statistics show. So if I have a dark gun in a dark house at night, is the bad guy going to see it? Probably not, right? Well, I hope he doesn't, if he see, doesn't it see it. If he doesn't see it, do I get 90% you know, uh, chance that it's going to stop him? No, I don't. So now I'm back to zero again. But if I have a gun that's highly visible, so when he sees it, he goes, oh, shit, gun. Never mind. I, the TV's not worth it or whatever he's there to take. Then I'm much better off. So small, lightweight, compact, easy to conceal, comfortable, and highly visible. I don't care if it's stainless or polished or neon or even, you know, something with a light on it or a laser on it. If If it's got something that increases the visibility of it so the bad guy knows you mean business then you're much better off i've been training my whole life to kill somebody i know i can i know i will if i need to but i never want to i hope i never have to oh, i'm a big i'm a big advocate of of lights because positive identification is a thing especially you're For talking sure. you're talking about the dark house you know if, especially if you have young kids or something you hear that bump in the night and it, you want to make sure that if if you do go to the gun, you're shooting the right person. There was a case several years ago that uh, that I used as an example in class where somebody heard a bump in the night. They get up. They found an unwanted individual in their home, somebody that they didn't recognize. They used deadly force on that individual. Finds out that it was the neighbor's teenage son. He got really drunk. His buddies kicked him out in front of the wrong house. He stumbles in, doesn't know where he's at, and somebody used deadly force on him. Terrible, unfortunate situation that would probably haunt you forever. And uh, just the fact that you don't know what's going on doesn't mean you're justified to shoot. There's got to be several articulatable facts to prove that human life was in danger. Even though some states say that a person in your house is justifiable to shoot them if they're uninvited. They still got to present but, with that deadly threat, though. Not in Texas, you don't. I, I, th- I, I, would, I would argue morally on that one. I, I do, too, 100%. That's why it's important that you know or you can articulate whose life you were saving and why it was important for you to use your gun to do that whether it's you or someone else. Well, if you have to let one of those dogs off the chain, um, you want to be the one telling the story. Exactly. And you know how you do that? You tell that story by not saying the damn thing. Correct. One of the last things I I would tell people in class was when you use your gun for, uh, for, for protection, Plan on several things. Number one, plan on being arrested. Plan on having your gun taken from you and placed into evidence. Then when the cops come to question you, tell them, I want to cooperate with your investigation fully after I've had a chance to speak with my attorney and become a broken record at that point. That's the only thing you say. I want to cooperate with your investigation after I've had an opportunity to speak to my attorney. And you don't tell them anything else. 
Well, and if you look at procedure, if once you ask for your lawyer, they can ask you all the questions you want. Anything that you give them after that is inadmissible. Right. But excited utterance and all those things do come into to play, even though it's inadmissible. The way that the um, the way that things are now with television and media and things like that, everybody hears it. Well, and having it having may not a level admissible in court, but everybody forms an opinion on on it before or after your trial. That's true. Having a level head is is super important, and that's why training is is so important. Yeah. I also tell them, if you call nine one one, don't say anything stupid in the nine one one call. No, just the facts, Jack. Don't say that I shot somebody in my house. Don't say that you know somebody. He had a gun, and I thought he was going to kill me, and all that stuff. Don't say any of that. You call and you say, "I need police and medical personnel at this address. Someone has been shot," and that's it. Don't say who shot who. Don't say who did what. Give them the facts as simple and plain as possible and keep yourself out of trouble. So kind of rounding back a little bit, I, I do have a question. So how how does somebody contact you for guided opportunities? Um, just look me up on Instagram or Facebook. My email address is predatorstrikeforce at gmail.com okay i was a member of the narcotics strike force when i was uh serving as a police officer i worked as an undercover agent and so strike force was kind of our thing um so i just added predator to the front of it and that's how people can get hold of me i don't guide as much as i used to because i'm very busy with uh, several other things but i do uh, try to take on several clients a year and and go out and have fun. If I was able to get it arranged, do you think you could come out this way and take a disabled veteran on a predator hunt? Yeah, I've done that before several times. Because we run a 501c3 that does that, takes veterans on an adventure, right? And yeah. sometimes it's antelope hunting, deer hunting, elk hunting, um, whatever the case may be that fits within what we're able to get as far as tag goes and availability for guides and things like that. But I think it'd be the highlight of some of these guys' life to go on a hunt like that with someone like you. Yeah, I would love to. I'm all about giving back. Um, I come from a long line of public servants. You know, all, all my grandparents were in the military. and My dad was a fireman. My older brothers are firemen. Um, I, I was just the oddball and had to go the police route because I wanted to be a public servant, but I wanted to shoot guns. <laughs> All right. So you, you've mentioned younger brother and older brother. How many of them are you in the Austin clan? Actually, both of my brothers are older. Oh, okay. So you're um, the baby. I have a younger sister, but I'm the, the baby brother. We're all, uh, my brothers and I are all 18 months apart. So we're very close. We were very competitive. We, uh, beat the crap out of each other, and we love each other unconditionally. And and they, they, we all love to hunt and fly fish, and you know enjoy the outdoors. But 
my dad raised us doing all that, you know, and uh, that was his passion. He put himself through college um, hunting coyotes. Oh, wow. And Yeah, he would kill enough coyotes that his fur check would pay his tuition. That's a lot of dogs. He, he was very skilled, and he dedicated himself to it. Um, and so, you know, when I was very little, that's what we did, and I grew up doing that. And, and then, uh, you know, my dad passed away when I was 21. He was killed in an industrial accident. And I I realized that I didn't know how to kill coyotes. I I could shoot them, but I couldn't call them because I never did. He always did all the calling. You know, he would tell me where to sit, which direction to point my gun. (laughs) And I just listened to him and did what he told me to do. And then when he died, I was like, oh, boy, I should have paid attention. Well, that's parenting 101, though. I had to relearn how to do it. I mean, you raise your kids right, you take them and, you know, do things with them that's meaningful, and then when they leave, you're like, I didn't learn near enough. Yeah, well, and that doesn't doesn't matter if you're 21 or, you know, 71, I think. You always wish that you would have paid more attention to mom and dad and, my mom died you know, a year and a half ago during uh, COVID, and I like you. You don't have you can't get that time back with your parents. You know, um, I have a lot of regret about not spending more time with them and things like that. But I did what I could, you know, and spent as much time with them as as allowed. Well, and, and uh, moving forward, though, I mean, you got a family of your own you're raising. You got a couple yeah. kids, and I mean, you got a couple boys there, yes? I do. Um, I have a, an older son who's an adult. He's married and a grandson. Outstanding and that relationship yeah. is Yeah, that relationship is really strained right now, unfortunately. Hmm. Without getting into too much details, but it stems from... Um, my divorce of, of three years ago. And I have a daughter who is serving a mission for the Mormon church. She lives in Tahiti. Oh, wow. And, uh, I have a great relationship with her and I have a great relationship with my 12 year old son. His name's Ruger. Um, of course it is very fitting named after a gun. And he loves to shoot, loves to hunt. He's, killed his first coyote already uh, i'm teaching him how to fly fish i just bought him a fly rod for his birthday and taught him how to cast and so yeah I'm, I'm doing what i can to pass on you know that passion for the outdoors and shooting and hunting sports and and i, I have great uh, bonus kids too i'm in a relationship and we've been together three years and i'm madly in love with her and her kids and so i have a lot going on yes you do so yeah in our industry i our lives kind of revolve let's let's say let's call it our fiscal year kind of revolves around chacho um so you know we're looking at that coming up here in about eight months what's the rest of this year hold for you what have you got going on well, I just got back from NRA annual meetings in Indy. Um, that was a great convention. I felt like it was well attended. And uh, we actually exhibited at that uh, show 
we sold a bunch of thermal and some night vision and some accessories and got to talk to some really great people, um, like-minded folks that just love what I love. And so that's always a good time. Uh, We're also uh, filming for uh, the Fox Pro hunting TV show. Um, So I'm on the field staff for Fox Pro game calls. Where, where do we find that TV show? Uh, YouTube's the easiest place to find it. It is on Roku as well. But it's just Fox Pro Hunting TV on YouTube. And uh, the last episode that just dropped last week is me in Arizona um, hunting gray fox and coyotes. And another episode will come out Friday of part two of me in Arizona hunting coyotes. So uh, in a week and a half, I go to Kansas to film a TV show for uh, spring turkey and coyotes. Um, We'll do a few of those shows throughout the year. We have a, uh, a, are you guys familiar with decoy dogs? Have you ever heard of that term? We've not. Yeah, so people train their uh, curs, mountain curs usually, to go pick a fight with coyotes and bring them back to you. And uh, that's a good way to get rid of a bunch of coyotes during the the denning season. If a rancher has a big problem with coyotes, um, it's a really good way to put, you know, some of the number, uh, to decrease some of the numbers during that time of year so. We'll hunt with decoy dogs all summer long, and they make for interesting TV shows because coyotes are very aggressive, and uh, they'll fight with the dogs, and it's a it's a lot of uh, entertaining, fast-paced action. Well, I have a blackmouth cur, and I, I'm not sure that I'd be willing to let him go pick fights with a pack of coyotes because that's dangerous for the dog, isn't it? Yeah, it can be. Um, but you run more than one dog, and you're basically, they're never out of sight from you. <laughs> so you teach them to go range out in front of you, but never out of sight. They'll go out, and the coyotes will see them, and they'll come chasing them back in. Well, let's let's um, be real for a second. Your blackmouth cur is not a working dog. He's a couch potato. That's correct. <laughs> He's well, a snuggler. they say that. They say that owners resemble their pets at some point. This absolutely true. I, don't get me wrong. My favorite place that's is why, on the couch with my dog. Why I don't ha- I, that's why I don't have a pet. I would be worried because about that because your pit bull I'm gets himself selfish. stuck in the corner. <laughs> he does. He's not the Mensa member. <laughs> also yeah, reflects it, the owner. pretty interesting. Ouch. Wow. Tell She's, you what, I'll take my brain out. And then you and I can discuss anything you would choose, and we'll start even. <laughs> and this is how these usually go. Sounds like a throwdown. Yeah. Well, this is the, the you know this is why we we podcast from the bar. I mean, what what better forum for epic amounts of bullshit fettered out once a week? Yeah, and then you guys can go settle it over the billiards table or throwing darts. Exactly. The way that it was meant to be settled, right? So I can throw the darts at Wilson. Is that what we're saying here? Mm -hmm. I don't play darts. That's between you two. 
You know, several years ago, I filmed a television pilot for the History Channel. They were interested in putting me on TV and what I do, you know, hunting coyotes. So they sent out this Hollywood film crew. And we spent several days filming uh, a television pilot, which turned out pretty good, to be honest with you. We killed several coyotes and put together an entertaining show. Well, when they pitched it to the network, the network's like, yes, absolutely. We love this character. He's incredible. We love his family. Uh, they, they named it Tom Austin, leader of the pack. And they said, the only caveat is we want him to catch these coyotes with his bare hands and then just release them into a sanctuary. <laughs> Wait, what? I'd watch yeah. that show. I'd definitely watch that show. <laughs> and I, I said, uh, y- y'all missed the point. That's not who I am. That's not what I do. In fact, if I catch a coyote, it's going to be with a bullet or an arrow or a dart from a blowgun. Now, hold but on, I'm not hold on. I mean, you, you might be being a shade hasty. I mean, you should try this at least once. I have uh, been close enough to a, a live coyote that I could smell what he had for lunch, and it was plenty close for me. Um, oh, just give the puppy a, a hug. You're a big enough guy. You could probably, you know, do one little small puppy. Yeah, I doubt that. I don't know if you, if you guys watch much television. I'm sure Jason doesn't. No. But uh, several years ago, there was a remake of King Kong that came out. And in one of the opening sequences, King Kong is fighting this big T-Rex or something like that. And the way he kills them is he grabs their mouth and breaks their jaw and kind of twists their neck. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I wonder if you can do that to a coyote. Now, mind you, this coyote was already dead. It had been shot and expired. But I wanted to see if it was possible to, you know, break his jaw, twist his neck. And it's impossible. You just need they to spend some more time so, in the gym. I mean, they are so strong. <laughs> Even dead, I could not break his jaw. Uh, they're just a super strong animals. It turns out that's not an option. <laughs> nope. It'd be good TV, though. That's why I carry a gun. Make things even? Yeah. That opposable that, thumb thing again. <laughs> that is our, uh, our motto at Night Goggles is redefining fair chase. All right. Because night vision and thermal has made it more of a level playing field. In my opinion, I believe that predators have always had the advantage over us. I don't they disagree can with smell that. Smell better, see better, hear better. They move faster. You know, they have every they have everything at their advantage. And when we can add thermal or night vision to the equation, it levels the playing field a little bit more, and we get we gain a slight advantage. I mean, there's a reason wolves had established themselves into legend of horror for 400 years. Yeah. Well, and coyotes are known as the trickster, the cunning. Um, same with fox. You know, even now today in, in Indian lore, they're still known as the tricksters because they're a pain in the butt. They're so smart, though. So, 
So let me ask you this, Tom, because um, you're you're very familiar with both. What is your preference, night vision or thermal, and and why? For war fighting, it would be thermal for just for the simple reason that you can get better positive identification of your target. Um, but for animals, for hunting, thermal is king. I can't go out here in, you know, western Utah where the sage is three feet tall and see coyotes with night vision. Unless I have eye shine and they're coming right at me because I have a, I'm pumping out a lot of IR light to get those eyes to pop. I'm not going to see him. With thermal, they can't hide from it. That's a valid point. So so what you're saying, though, it, it then is the thermal's kind of the future. Yeah, it is, especially as it increases in uh, pixels and pixel pitch and things of that nature. Now you're actually able to see facial recognition and things where you couldn't with thermal five years ago especially 10 years ago, it wasn't clear enough that you could tell the difference between two different individuals, but now you can. Now, now is the newer thermal that's coming out, is that something that I'm going to have to take out a second mortgage to buy? Well, none of it's cheap, but you can get into the thermal game now for around $1,200 uh, okay. for a small handheld unit. Okay, that's in the game. Uh, the smallest weapon, or the about the cheapest weapon unit for good quality stuff, not Chinese stuff, is about twenty four hundred. So you know about the same as a really good high end optic. Okay, and then it goes up from there. Now, um, it is is that stuff that's available from TNVC? Yeah, uh, we sell it at uh, Night Goggles at the company that that I run. Um, there's things from, you know, eighteen, $1,900 all the way up to $9,500, depending on what you want and what your needs are. Okay. I don't think you need to spend ten grand on a thermal to have something good. Our number one selling thermal is $4,500, and it's amazing. It has several different color palettes. It records audio, video. Uh, it has a one-shot zero function, a nice little room mount, so it returns back to zero. Um, okay, so that's so that's weapon mounted. Yeah, that would be a weapon mounted thermal that you could use for spotting, scanning, shooting. It'll kind of do it all. Hmm. Yeah, that's come a lot more affordable than it used to be. Yeah, and everything's um, been shrunken down too. You know, the first cell phone that I remember seeing was this big old brick about the size of a size 12 shoe. Looked like you were calling in an airstrike. Exactly. And now, you know, they fit in your pocket. And the same thing with thermal. The first thermal that I remember ever seeing was about the size of an igloo cooler. And it had another, uh, it had another element to it that was also the size of like a little playmate cooler that was attached to it and all these cords and everything to make it work and now they're handheld you know something the size of a laser rangefinder um, wow. that can fit in a shirt pocket the game has truly changed 
Yeah. And, you know, it's just going to continue to get better from there. Night vision is pretty maxed out. It hasn't changed much in the last 15 to 20 years. We have, you know, a little bit better tube image quality now. Like TMVC sells a super gain tube that is about 30% brighter than a standard filmed white phosphor image. But it's still the same technology, just increased a little bit but thermal has changed a bunch great information yeah well tom i i want to thank you for coming on with us you're you're gonna definitely help help us boost our numbers because everybody wants to know what tom austin is up to especially when they can't touch your beard yeah (laughs) yeah i i appreciate that uh Jason, it doesn't have me on Shot Show Bingo anymore. That's coming. Oh, one one thing that we should probably go over real quick. I mentioned the legal heat um, discussion, and we did tell everybody to train. That was part of the curriculum. We nationally tell or to, just in your classes? Um. Well, at the time, I was. Only one of four instructors, and all four of the instructors taught that. Okay, good. I'm not a legal heat representative. I no longer work for them. I haven't since 2016. But we stress very much train, 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 because your handgun doesn't do you any good if you can't hit what you're aiming at with, you know, with prejudice. And and we, we covered all sorts of different things, like, no, not only know your target, what's beyond it, but is that caliber you're shooting going to go through your wall into the next bedroom or into the neighbor's house next to yours or whatever? You know, there's all sorts of different things that were, are or were part of the curriculum when we taught. And it all centered around the, not only the local, state, and federal gun laws and, and uh, training, but we went into detail about everything that's necessary really to be a responsible gun owner. Well, in in curriculum, I think that's exceptional. But I I guess the question is, was the actual live fire component of the program to get the certificate part of the curriculum? In, In some states, yes, it was, but in some it's not required. For example, I would make a, uh, a run in Wyoming every month and, it was live fire required. I would teach in bags. Um, then I would go up to Rollins and teach there. And we we did live fire every time. I I probably have been responsible for arming or certifying over 60,000 people in all the years that I worked for Legal Heat and Traveled. But I'm a, I'm a firm believer of um, the class is nice, and even if the state doesn't require it, I'd still put them through it. The only problem is there's a logistics with that, and a lot of the logistics have to do with having a facility that can do it or will do it, and it's not always feasible to have, you know, a live fire for every single course because... Some facilities or some cities don't even have a facility big enough to house it. No, no, we, we get always, that, and we address that a little bit in our in our podcast. It just 
the the point being on the on human nature side of things is you can stress it all you want in the class, but as soon as they have that certificate, they now think that they're completely prepared to go. Yeah, but it's no different than Ford and Chevy and Dodge not putting airbags in vehicles for years and years and years. It wasn't required by the state. And it, w- it would have saved a lot more lives if they would have. Even seatbelts, for example, weren't required until, you know, the 1950s or whatever. So the progression of things is when people realize that it becomes a problem, that it needs to be addressed on a national scale, that's when things start to change. Uh, but Ford and Chevy weren't certifying those folks as safe um, to drive. That's what that's they the, were certifying the vehicle as safe. Yes, to drive. but that's an inert object. They're not giving the person a license to go abroad and carry, and that's where we deviate on the concept a little bit. Yeah, but just because you give someone a driver's license doesn't mean they're safe to operate a motor vehicle. I get that, even though they're taking. Even though they've taken the test. And you're making my point for me. (laughs) They've proven proficiency. Even if they've been on a driving course and proven proficiency, it doesn't mean that they're safe to operate that vehicle. You're absolutely proving my point for me, and I thank you for it. Well, and I I, I, I get what he's saying, because if you you look back in history, it, it it was like 30 years, the invention of the cup versus the invention of the face mask in hockey. Yeah. Pretty scary, huh? Necessity. <laughs> yep we we definitely straight we definitely uh, um we definitely told and instructed people that this was just classroom session in those states that didn't require a live fire operation, and that even though that they were certified to carry, by no means were they ready or prepared to go out and use their gun, you know, as a method of self-defense. And it's a gun ownership is an individual responsibility. Agreed. And and using that gun in any capacity is an individual responsibility. Agreed. So, and you, and you've kind of brought up full circle that that rights come with responsibilities and as gun owners especially, we, we have a higher responsibility than, than maybe anybody else. Yeah, for sure. Just because I have a gun and I have the propensity for violence, I have the capacity for violence, doesn't mean that I should be violent. Um, that's something that martial arts stress more than anything is just because you're deadly doesn't mean that you should be deadly. It means that you have the propensity for violence and the control for it at the same time. And they come together. That's exactly right. Tom, I, I, I want to thank you for your time and coming on here. And I, I, I'm hoping everybody listening gets something out of this. And hopefully you're going to get a lot of calls for guided hunts for wolves, for coyotes. And with that, I want to tell everybody, we'll see you next week. And until then, stay safe out there. Take care, guys.